I had a, an interesting time in um, Yugadale. Uh, I don't know if you, many of you remember uh, uh, Brother um, that had this uh, great accent, Graham. Uh, he came and he, he says, well, it's good to see a Brother Bill. Anyway, he, he brought his Bible up and, and was telling me what I had preached. He said, remember that word you preached back? And, and, he, and he named the title. And I said, I've never heard of it. <laughs> and, and then, uh, then he, he, he had written my name in there. He lost his wife this year. Beautiful man. And, uh, you know, coming home this time was, uh, I mean, seeing all of you, and I haven't seen y'all, was uh, heartfelt because, you know, we have so much time and sometimes we don't take advantage of it or get a chance to be with one another. But, you know, I went into Spain and, and, and the same thing, you people that you've been with in and out for 30, 40 years, and you see them, you realize uh, how much uh, significant everybody is. And my wife's always saying that, and I'm slower. Uh, you know, when we started this place, uh, I had trouble with God because I was supposed to be kind of a founder and a shepherd and all that. And shepherds should like sheep, and I didn't like anybody very much. And uh, so it was a big handicap. But after you've lived a while among God's people, if you don't see that you can love as he gives it to you, the most powerful force on earth, as you've heard me say, is God's love. Because that's what prompted him with his intention to share everything with you and with me. And when he tells you and you look across a room at somebody's, you know, just nasty and furly and self-centered, and God shows you that you should be loving and not critical, um, because he's the one that does that. You know, you cannot make yourself be a wonderful, loving, spiritual person. By now, you and I should know that, but we're slow. It's this uh, soul of ours that can be loose. Anyway, uh, I've got a question for you this morning, and, uh, and I hope it's helpful. But I, I was asking the Lord, what's a good question? What, what you know, to start a service? and. <laughs> And I didn't like the question, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. But um, we're all being processed, every one of us. And we're all being processed toward a destiny, a goal that our God, our Father, the maker of all things, has in mind. You didn't think of this. You may not even be thinking about it as much as you should. I haven't over the years. It's starting to, you know, with a leg going out and uh, all stuff kind of coming on and wondering if you're going to make it up the, 
the next stairs. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe you give it a little more sensibility. But you, God has you in his fix and focus. Now, it doesn't matter how old you think you are. There are three, uh, three levels that God mentions, and one of them is babes, you know? And uh, uh, Betty likes to say, uh, we're all babes compared to living forever. And, and that's acceptable, but God puts it there are babes, there are young men, and they're mature, okay? And, and one of the big problems and the goofy things about all of us is frequently we tend to think of ourselves as mature because we have a lot of information and a lot of time. And so, you know, I've seen 60-year-olds who are babes, 70. And, and I wouldn't, I, I'm kind of happy to, to, to know uh, that I don't know. But here's the question. How long and when are you going to be finished in the eyes of God? Are you going to be finished on this side? Or are you going to have to wait until the other side? And I told you, I argued with, uh, with a friend over this. He said, well, I, I know right now I'm not ready. And I said, you don't know that. You're not the author of you. You don't know readiness. Uh, and he said, oh, yeah, you can know that. And we went back and forth. And I was kind of convinced that I know that he's been dogging me. I know that God has been behind. My history tells me that. So I, I know that I love him, but uh, I also see shortcomings and, you know, and, and please understand this. You are being thoroughly and unequivocally tested to the maximum in what you can take. And don't forget that God, you know, I, with, with Kathy and what she's going through, there are times you can stand back and say, oh my God, what a, what a terrible test. And, and that's not your right or it's not mine because um, God says, let us choose judgment. Uh, through Elihu when he's talking to Job. Now, if you maintain the covenant with the couch, the covenant with your own will and what you want to do. You don't grow. Outside of the offering and giving yourself and giving myself, I can't grow. I can't grow because I know things or because I, you know, do you know what I went through on this trip with my leg? Nobody cares, really. I mean, you know, you've been very nice and the people are kind, you do your best. But you have your life, and if you could help me, you probably would, but you can't help anybody very much but yourself, and you can't even help yourself without God. Can you say amen to that? 
Are you starting to believe it? I looked at a guy, I, I, I didn't tell you this time. I'm sitting, and I don't want to make this too long, my, but I miss you guys, and, and it was wonderful to come back and, and just embrace four or five, six of you. And, and I, 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 you never know uh, how much you love until you have margins and time. And that was wonderful. But I was sitting in Seattle before we left. I uh, had a little layover there. And on my right was this little 17-year-old. And she was, you know, somewhat attractive and pretty much taken with herself. And she whipped out her camera and was doing a few selfies, checking her eyelids. And it, it, it was pretty clear that this 17-year-old was kind of into what I looked like. And I said, uh, and Betty was sitting beside me, which otherwise I wouldn't have done it. But I said, young lady, would you like uh, $500,000 worth of information this morning regarding beauty and character? And she looked at me, who's this weirdo talking to me? <laughs> you know, I haven't plucked my other eyebrow yet, you know. And so, and I, and she looked, and I tell I mean, it's a good question, because I'm telling you, I'm going to give you good stuff. I'm old, I've been around, and, and I know this. Uh, and, and so she, she kind of said, had a little bit of interest in her eyes, so I went on, you know me, push it. And uh, I said, the secret is others. <clears throat> others. If you're going to be beautiful, if you're going to have character, others, the most beautiful people in the world, think of others. Now, you know, I thought I was, you know, Mr. Wisdom. And I go on the trip, I come back, and uh, I, I get shot so that I think, I, my God, I'm in a walk again. My leg is killing me, and I have to crawl uh, on the first leg of the trip home coming out of Scotland, and, and it's, uh, it, it's funny, because you say, well, uh, what, you know, you hurt your leg, or, and I'm sure all of you, when you go through things, you say, why? But why so long? I mean, I know two or three of our women here got married later, or, uh, or haven't gotten married, you know, God, what are you doing? What's the meaning behind all this? And so I get on, I had to have, uh, I had a, a uh, wheelchair anyway, because it's a long haul. And, uh, but I go through the, the, uh, the whole airport in, uh, in, uh, in Dublin, and I meet this guy, and he's on a bad leg. He's maybe 68, and he tells me a, really a sad story. And he's a wonderful servant, hauling me around. Here, sir, I'll take that. And he's a servant, and he's, he's, he, it's all about, are you okay? Can we go, what's going on? And, and that was great. And then I told some of you last night, uh, when, we, we get to um, uh, 
Seattle, and this little black girl, beautiful curly hair and shiny uh, black face, smart, moving me around. We went up and down, all around. Uh, I thought, my goodness, I've never been on such a ride. And Hetty's going, ha, ha, trying to catch up with us in a wheelchair. And I asked the girl, I said, uh, are, are you married? And she says, yes, I have a couple of kids. I said, where'd you get your English? I told some of you this yesterday. And she said, well, I went to school. Uh, where are you from? East Africa. Really? Well, what did you do uh, there? Well, she said, uh, uh, she said she was in school. I said, what'd you do in school? And she said, I, I'm an anesthesiologist. And I said, oh. And here she's doing maybe 17 bucks an hour, shoving us around. And she is vigorous. I mean, I'm, she goes through people and, excuse me, I think maybe she's, you know, going to knock somebody over, some of these people in the, in the row. And, and I said, well, what, what are you doing here? I mean, if you, if you have that training, because she worked in hospitals and stuff. Well, I can't do it here. I'm going to school. I have two children. And she's up in the middle of the night serving me. And I'm thinking, I'm limping around, and when I'm not hurting, when, I, when my leg wasn't hurting, but I was just concerned about getting there, I wasn't doing much thinking. But when you're wounded, I'm saying, what, are, what does all this mean? Well, seeing all those dear people, and there was a couple of folks that pushed us, they didn't care if I lived or died. But, but the servants, the servants were wonderful because they were fixed on you. You know, they're not, and you've heard me say this, and if, you, if you'd like to, you know, go to a men's mental institution, just keep reflecting on yourself. Just thinking about your depression, what you aren't, what you should be, where you are. Just keep looking in that mirror and thinking about yourself. Do it over time. When you go to bed, leaning back, think of all the things you've done and what people might have thought about you. And it's the sure, fast way to lunacy. Okay? But you say, well, that's not very kind to tell people that you say you love to reflect on themselves. Well, I know that there's enough rebellion in you. <laughs> if I tell you to do something, you say, well, I'm not going to do that. I'll tell you, you'll sleep better if you'll pray for others. You'll think better if you get your fix because you're an agent proving that you're walking with God. Anyway, I, I'm wearing out my welcome. God bless you. Uh, let's uh, let's worship, worship the Lord. Father, we thank you that uh, you have helped us get our fix off ourselves. You're the, the only perfect friend we have. And your love is the most powerful thing in the world. Whitestone farm is not eternal. We are. This is temporary. God help us to, to manage loving one another as you've loved us. 
or we're, we're fakes, we're pretenders. And we've seen that. But you've said otherwise, and we want to take what you say. That, we're, that you, when you have said that we belong to you, great God, let that be a reality that we have hope in for Jesus' sake. Amen. It's good to be together, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Remind you on a day like today that light and darkness are alike to him. It's good to know that. They're not to us, but they're to him. So. Lift up your
fact, I hope you know that. It's a river that doesn't ever run dry. Okay, I, I posted, uh, left my phone back there, I posted Seth's new song. It's been in my head, so, and it's encouraging. Anybody need encouragement? It's a great, it's a great song. There are a few, I don't know, there's a few more here if I need to. Anybody not, was not here the first time we sang this? Here's a few sheets, but it's on, it's on uh, the uh, church and school communications. Uh, it's, a, it's a great song. I uh, promised John Miller you'd send it to him. Has he heard it? Uh, I, this morning I did send it to him, and I haven't even checked my phone. Okay, I'm going to call him while we're playing, okay? Okay. He needs to get out of bed. He does. Wake him up. Okay. Yeah. If you've been listening, the song didn't just come at a random time. Uh, it has some encouragement that uh, is fitting with where we've been at. If you've been listening to the openings and things, but uh, take these words to heart because if you need to be carried, uh, this may be for you. Come unto me.
trip to uh, Shepherd's Inn area. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> Shepherd's Inn looked like it was making progress, doing better. I want to correct something uh, that a lot of people have made a big deal about uh, Louise being 99 and still doing a bunch of stuff, but the truth is she's still only 98. Yeah, so I said, hey, hey, let's back off on this. Ooh, it's Louise, you know. She's not 99 for another, she's, I don't know, 10 days or something. Anyway. She had a very funny line. She's very witty in her simple way. She said, she was in the bank and they were doing something for her. And she says, well, you know, uh, Mrs. Almeida, you can do this online. She leans forward to the lady. She says, the only line I know about is the clothesline. <laughs> that was a funny comment. Anyway, they're very gracious hostesses. So, I was thinking, you know, Bill started out with about how long the processing is or, you know, and he was having an argument with somebody. Um, Personally, I think it's JC, and that doesn't stand for Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I suppose I think the best answer I can say I don't is I don't really know. I think uh, you know. There's a couple examples. One is Paul says I'm ready to be offered, so he seemed to have a clue about it. I think Bill says God told him. I don't know where else he would have got it. And if he got it someplace else, it wouldn't have been true anyway, so. But um, the disciples who were an encouragement, they're in the Bible to encourage you. I don't know if you derive a lot of encouragement from the disciples, but you should, because they really were losers and inadequate for the call, right? And. Well, I'm hoping they make that leap. They'll say kind of like us. I was hoping you'd be making that leap in your minds. But, you know, they didn't know what was going on any better than the multitudes. And you can find that out, right? Because he's, they hung around. And that, you know, that's an important aspect of being a disciple is that you hang around long enough to find out what's going on. And, uh, and the disciples said, what, you know, can you explain this to us? And uh, so then they get a further illumination, and, and um, you know, and even that didn't actually. There was still a transition that needed to be made. They had mental understanding, which the multitudes didn't even get, but they had that. But it didn't mean it was inside, right? They came to a point. They, Jesus gives them a wonderful thing, a bunch of verses in John 16. He says, and they said, oh. Oh, they get to it at the end of the, now, now we believe. And he says, oh, do you now believe? As a matter of fact, you're all going to be scattered and run to your own pretty soon, and I'm going to be left alone. And so, 
So having said that, you have that backdrop, and then Jesus goes to the cross and comes up in the grave, and you got 40 days, and he says, wait for 10 more days in the upper room, you know, and they're filled with the Holy Ghost. And so probably somewhere between 50 and 100 days, you find new disciples. And if, I don't know if you've ever read that and been impressed with it, because these guys were all running to save their own lives. Right? Self-interested, not thinking of others, uh, in love with themselves, and um, saving their own skin. And then 50 to 100 days later, they are coming out of the council after having been beaten, <coughs> being very bold to preach the, the gospel, and saying, we ought to please God more than men. Uh, and they, they, the, the council is going to let them go, and, but just for a reminder, they beat them. Being beaten in those days was not a pleasant experience. And the disciples, it says, they went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the uh, gospel, for Jesus Christ. And I think, okay, that was 50 to 100 days. So I guess my conclusion is I don't really know how much time it takes, how much uh, I've been surprised at how long. And I, I, was, I wrote something this morning that my perception and my imagination of what should be is an enemy to the purpose of God. <coughs> Because really we don't know. You can write yourself off and you'll be wrong. And you can say, I have arrived and you might be wrong. You just have to say, Lord, here I am again today. You are making the call. And, uh, and I think we flaw in both ways. <laughs> and, and, and I think the process we're in, and I was maybe going to talk about that briefly. I feel I had a vision of a knife of circumcision in the praise. Uh, <laughs> my message. <laughs> uh, I did. I had another vision. I just had this thought. Circumcise your message. <laughs> and, um, but I think we're in the process of, of um, burial constantly. But not just burial, but also resurrection. I think both things are happening. That we're being buried, and you need to be anointed to be buried. I know we've just said, oh, I need to be buried. Good, I'll go do that. And, you know, you, <laughs> the first shovel full of dirt hits you and you say, what is going on? <laughs> uh, but both things are happening. It says it in Colossians 2, um, that you're buried and you're raised. Uh, both things must be working. My part is re re whatever is working, <laughs> uh, whatever it's the day. This is a day of burying. I need to be anointed for burial, Jesus said. He didn't misuse the anointing, right? He knew what it was for. Um, but whatever's the, the environment I find myself in, you say, Lord, I, I, this is your work. And, um, and today seems like a day of burying. It seems like dirt on my head. Shovels pour dirt on my head. There's a Use that in reader's theater, right? Learn to love blackness. Well, and our life has been that. There's been burying and there's been raising. And God's the only one that knows how much of both you need on any given day. And and He's the one that's processing. And in that light, I want I, the, my one of my favorite scriptures is in Hebrews 13. And I, I hope you can 
shift your confidence to this. God is very good at ridding us of all confidence in ourselves. I could have heard an amen about that because if that hasn't been your experience, I don't know where you've been living. You've been sneaking off the Delta Junction. <laughs> um, sometimes you look back, you realize why God put you where He did. You know, like because He put you in Delta Junction, and and you can sneak off to Delta Junction only to further your depression. I mean, if at least you're in a city that's like places that might alleviate you or give you some um, anesthetic for a few minutes because it's a nice coffee shop or because you can go to, I don't know, shopping, and that's not great either. But I'm just saying, there's stuff to occupy your brain in there. But you go through Delta Junction, you say, I'm going back to the community. (laughs) But I want you to know that you know, God knew where he put us. He, you know, we knew about Delta Junction. And um, I don't know what appears. I don't want to be self-centered. I, I don't believe. I don't believe that God is. I don't believe the world rotates. God's eternal purpose revolves around me. I think I'm invited to be a part of it. But I will say that he was, they were shuddering for it, really, when we got here. And then they reopened it. Now, I'm not saying it was just because of us. I'm just saying that was a provision that God seemed to be making for us. Because he wanted us to be able to be buried and to be raised on a daily basis uh, over these many years. Yes, he wanted to finance our, our death. He pays for the burial. He provided Jesus a really nice tomb. Right? Yeah, he had a. That's true. It wasn't like. A, oh, that's a good point. He only had to borrow the tooth. <laughs> um, that's that's quint, quintessential Tom Porter. Oh, okay. All right. Anyway, let me just read this scripture: Hebrews thirteen twenty-one or twenty. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now it says brought again. Because it wasn't the first time, it was the last time he had to be brought out of the grave. Jesus was buried and he was raised continually in his journey. And he says, um, and that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. So the confidence should be today that it's God's... eternal purpose to work in you what is well-pleasing. What is your part? It's not for me to create something. It's for me to say, Lord, I want to have this done more than anything else. That's, what the, that's why the transformation comes on the basis of the renewing of your mind. Because you are exercising yourself in, in the things that God brings into our lives and the experiences that He brings to get us to the condition where the, the primary thing I must have, Lord is your purpose working in me, making in me what is well-pleasing. I, I have a wonderful thought to share with you today that Jesus learned obedience. Yeah. I hope that helps you today. 
Because somehow we thought we could do obedience and we, and we found out we couldn't. And that was one of the most depressing things I've ever come up against is that I can't do obedience. I need to be made willing in the, by the processing of the Spirit of God. And till I say, <clears throat> excuse me, the definition I think of, of maturity. <clears throat> is uh, in John 21, I believe, where he says, when you're old. And I was, I was saying at Shepherd's Inn that I, don't, I can't use that word with Brother Bill or my mother or others. You can't say old. You have to say older, right? But the Bible says, when you're old. And uh, my mother always tells me it's just a number. And I'm okay with that. It is a number. Sometimes I say it's a big number, but I <laughs> But nonetheless, it says when you're old, that means mature. When you're mature, what actually happens is that you are in a condition where you say, look, this is what I gotta have. This is the only thing I really have to have. Doesn't mean that I've lost all desires or interests in anything. It just means that the thing I must have is, uh, to stretch out your arms and say, Lord, I can't get there from here. And that's why that song is beautiful, I will carry you, right? Because that's what the Bible says there in John 21. He said, you stretch out your hands, another will gird you and will carry you. And look, you're not, no one's going to force you to be carried. There will be incentives, but God is working in you what is well-pleasing. And what is well-pleasing is his sight that you are absolutely, unequivocally dependent upon him to bring you to what he's called you to. And so, um, this is a progressive resurrection, I think, uh, that's going on with every single one of us. And I, I wanna try to cut this out here. I mean, cut out all the things I have and get down to, um, it's just that there's two things going on. And, and you cannot fabricate resurrection life. You can't fabricate eternal life. And I've been thinking a lot about, because you go, I, I go someplace and I, have to, I had to speak three times and somebody asked me, the first night I was at Hilltop, and one of the ladies there asked me, so, are you going to be preaching the same message every night, every service? And I said, I'll let you know Monday. Because I didn't know what I was gonna do. And that makes me nervous. I don't want you to think I'm not nervous. I still get nervous. And um, I still don't, I don't know. I don't mean I don't have, I always have notes. But I don't like having notes in case the Holy Ghost isn't there. That's a drag for everybody. So the reason she was asking is, because she says, well, I'm going to be there tonight. We're having a service in a couple hours. We're visiting. And, but tomorrow night I had plans. Because the service the next night was at Blueberry. 
But I will be there Sunday at Shepherd's Inn. And I said, well, you know what? Keep your plans. Like, really? Uh, just do your plans. And she said, well, if you, in fact... I said, I mean, this is, I mean, this is humorous because, I, I mean, it's humorous to me. I find humor in a lot of weird places. But it was, she said, if I, she said, well, what is, what if you, the message tomorrow night, I miss, and it's the very message that brings us across the threshold. Now, I told Richard this morning that I grew up with a, a father that was a smart aleck. And it was a different word, but same. So, Brother Bill was talking about going into a mental institution if you think of yourself. So I flashed on when I was a kid, 12 or 13, there's a mental institution down the road. And uh, me and some friends would sneak in. Uh, this is you know, you'd have a basketball under your arm and you'd drape your coat over it. And we'd walk in that place and we'd use their gym because we didn't have a gym in our junior high school and we wanted to play basketball in the wintertime so we would sneak in there. And my father said, well, you wouldn't have to sneak in. <laughs> For those of you that didn't understand that. <laughs> so every night in the summer, they go and walk some of the patients, and they walk right by our house. My dad wouldn't even raise his head from the newspaper and say, there go your friends, Steve. <laughs> so if I slip up sometimes and think of things to say that aren't appropriate, you know, give me a little slack. Because when the lady said the word that puts us over the threshold, I thought of several things that I could have said. That and it was all 15 members of Hilltop sitting there, and I was, I was trying to be careful. I said, well, all I did say, I, and I don't think, I don't know how my tone, I said, look, um, if you're looking for the word that's taking you over the threshold, you're going to have to get that directly yourself from the Spirit. <laughs> that was the best I could do. But I've been struck with the thought of how much telling that I do, and we do, telling about. And, and it's, we're not going to stop, perhaps, to encourage one another. And uh, I get encouraged. I listened to two of the devotions, openings yesterday while I was exercising, and they were very good. And I appreciated the encouragement from them. Um, but really, this is, um, and I'm, I'm not saying that God's going to remove that. I, but I think really what is the, is the issue, right, is that you and I become something, that we are something, that, that what's going on of great significance is not that we don't get encouragements along the way, but that God actually is doing something so we become something, and what comes out of us is impartation. And the only benefit of anything that comes across this podium is when there's some impartation of the work of the Spirit that's gone in a heart. And it comes through and you sense, and, and the benefit to you is only when it resonates to the work of the Spirit that's going on in you. That's all. And I know I've lived through a bunch of conventions and I, and, and I gotta tell you the best thing that <clears throat> sometimes I listen to a message 
and it made me feel good, and it made me lifted, but, you know, it didn't, it didn't make me something. It made me feel better about where I lived, or being stuck in Delta Junction. It made me, you know, it painted a picture and a vision that was, and I'm not against that, you know, um, but I'm just saying, really, what's going on is that God is at work to make you into something right. <clears throat> that is legitimate. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there's a couple things that I'm not going to be too much longer. There's a couple things that, a couple passages I've been looking at a lot. One is in Matthew 13. We don't have to turn there, but it talks about the, the, about the parable of them sowing the fields, about the wheat and the tares, and, and, and it's a funny way it's written. Because obviously the guy that, that, you know, the Lord's the one that sows the good seed. And it says, but then, like, while God was asleep, the enemy came and sowed bad seed. <laughs> you know, doesn't exactly fit the program. But it says, he said, should we go rip out these tares? And he said, no. Let them grow together. And, uh... And I, I thought, you know, you look at that parable that, and sometimes around here you want to make a list, right? And you post it on the wall, and the, the headings are wheat and tares, and then you put names under the wheat, you put names under the tares. And then you change the names and move them over, depending upon the way people treat you. And definitely a tear. I think that's just talking about, I don't think it's talking about individual members of the body. The way it's written, I understand why we think that. <laughs> but, but what it's really talking about, it says the kingdom. The kingdom is like unto. Right here. And isn't it interesting, God lets them both grow together. He's very frightening. He lets that stuff grow together. <laughs> and you can't rip it out early. Have anybody had any conversations with God? Can we just be done with this difficulty? Sometimes it's just a single thought. Can we just, can I just be done with this? He says, let them grow together. And he says, at the end of the age, the end of the world. And I, everybody wants to know, is it the end of the world? And that's another thing I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It looks bad. It looks... It seems like, it's like what Buddy said in, what, 1996? I mean, I, what he said was so funny. He says, well, if it isn't, it seems like God would miss a good opportunity, right? You know? I mean, Buddy, you know, everybody jumped on him for, for that. And he wasn't, it wasn't some finalization he was making. He was just saying it, it could be, you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hmm. But there is an end of the age, an end of the world that I know about. There's an end of my world that's going on. The end of the world that I have lived in, of my own life. I know it's the end time, that way. I know that's exactly... See, when he does come at the end of the age, you know what, he, he does bundle out the tears, and what that means is he removes all things that offend, and I hope you're experiencing that. That God is interested in removing all things that offend. He describes clearly what offends with Peter, right? 
get thee behind me, Satan. That's not a gentle removal. He said, you're savoring the things of men and not of God. Those are the offense. That's the offensive part. When you and I savor the things of the earth, earthbound, whatever that is for me, whatever my earth, my world, that the, God, at the end of my age, at the end of my world, God wants to remove all those things that offend. And he brings the wheat into the barn. And I want to talk about the wheat just for a minute. Because the wheat is to make bread. I guess we all know that. And Jesus talks about the bread of God that comes down from heaven in John 6. And it gives life to the world. And I want to look at Mark. We can turn to Mark chapter 6. Because there's a parable of bread. Um... So, the, um, it's in, in a few of the parables. I'll just paraphrase and then maybe I'll read a couple things I want to get to. One is that there's 5,000 people and they've been there a long time. And he says he had compassion on the multitude and he said they need to be fed. And so, the disciples once again showing how adept they are. One says, well, someone announces that even this much wouldn't suffice. You know, those comments are not always helpful here. I don't know if we know that. Well, we have a problem in front of us, and someone says, well, this wouldn't work. Okay, then why did you bring it up? So then Jesus says, you know, and then other guy brings up, well, there's five loaves and there's two fish. And I don't know, in one gospel, <laughs> It seemed like that was just information that was volunteered. And in another gospel, Jesus says, how much do you have? And uh, I think, well, I think that's what happens. He says, how much, what do you have? Yeah. And sometimes it's worse to have a little bit than nothing. Because <clears throat> it's demoralizing. <clears throat> but they had five loaves and two fish. Jesus says to them, knowing what he was going to do, he said... You give them something to eat. <laughs> give them something to eat. And you know the story. So they take, they take what's there, that little bit, and he breaks the bread, and he hands it to the disciples, and the disciples uh, start handing it out. And um, I always thought, I wondered what that was like. Because it's 5,000, one passage says 5,000 men, and then plus women and children. But even if it's just 5,000, I mean, I don't, like, I don't know what was in their arms. I don't, I'm like, how did they just keep passing it out? I don't know. You know, how that miracle actually took place. I think the beauty of that is that God, God got them in on the miracle. They were part of the distribution of that. And they didn't even know what was going on. Just the bread didn't stop, I guess. I don't know. I wondered if they didn't look down for fear that it'd be no more. I don't know. Is there any? I mean, I don't know how many they had in their hand at a time. They had one, and then they had another, and maybe just one at a time. I don't really know what happened. But you know, I think the Bible's written for us, and you got to identify 
uh, yourself and the miracle. And I know all of us would like to identify ourselves with Jesus or at least somebody special. But I think it's after the miracle of feeding everybody. Because those people got hungry again. Right? Ostensibly, they had to eat again the next day. I mean, I think it was a benefit. They didn't have to feed their kids when they went home or anything. Right? It was nice. It was a meal provided. Right? We do that a lot. Right? Um, But the greater part of the miracle, in my mind, at least... And, and the thing we should identify with is that um, that after the miracle, um, they gathered all the fragments and put them in baskets. And I think this was an indication for the disciples, right? Because there were 12, right? 12 baskets full of fragments. And I think if there's any identification that should be made for us in that miracle, it's that you and I are the fragments that God gathers in. You're called to be broken bread that can feed. And that's what those disciples were called to be also. Broken bread. That's why you've got to go through the processing of God so that you have broken bread, that it's genuinely broken bread that you have become so you really have something to offer. Because, you know, evangelism in this earth has been based upon telling about. If we just tell them. And I don't know how you feel about that, but I have, it's like a joke to me sometimes because okay let's talk about um, unity because every few months here over the years somebody will mention unity and oneness right walking together and I wonder why that is I mean if you consider why that is it's because Sometimes we get divided. That's why. And so then we hear the word on unity, and we treat it as though it's a fresh word. That's a good idea. We should have been told that before. And so it's not in the telling. Well, if I just told them, that'll make the difference. And so we do tell. But then you see, it doesn't make a difference. It must be the work of God by His Spirit taking you through experiences where you have nothing left to resource yourself to get you through whatever it is and you call upon God. And you find out He's got bread for you to eat. And you find out that you've got to trust Him. And like... Justin said, take a step. You've got an action of saying, God help me. That's the best action you can take, is God help me. And then, through the experience of the Spirit working in you, you have something inside you. And I have something inside me. And it's broken bread, and that is what 
God is going to redeem the earth with is the broken bread that he's worked inside of you so that you are something, not that you can tell people about stuff. Let me tell you about our community. Let me tell you about the revelation. Let me tell you about this Bible verse. Let me tell you, let me tell you. And, and God doesn't want you to tell. He, uh, well, he might want you to tell, but he really wants you to be so that what comes out of you. And I thought, what do I minister in this place? I'm not even talking, I'm not talking about gifts. Because I appreciate the gifts of this place. There are many gifts. I'm talking about becoming something that is life-giving because of the work of the Spirit. And I thought, what do I bring here? What do you bring to the atmosphere? What does your fragment of bread offer What's it minister? Do you minister out of the life of the Spirit here? <coughs> or intelligence? Minister out of intelligence. Some of us don't face that, but others do. Sometimes I listen to people that are very smart. I gotta listen three, four times. Or I read something and I gotta read it over and over because I don't get it right away, you know. There's some famous theologian, Christian theologians, William Law or P.T. Forsythe or, uh, you, you know, what did you say? John Cheever. <laughs> I usually understand him. But it's not that. Those are not the resources that make any difference. I appreciate the gifts. And I don't want to do away with it. It's God's temporary plan. <laughs> but it really, the, the increase occurs because of that which every joint supplies. And some, sometimes you have somebody, they want to be the whole loaf. <laughs> and there is no one that is a whole loaf. <laughs> you are a fragment. And God gathers the fragments. And he puts them in a basket. And you learn to listen to the fragments. Because he's taken out the cares that offend. But he's also doing this tremendous gathering. Which way outweighs the removal. God's intention is to increase. Not increase you. Increase himself. Increased with the increase of God. And so God has to break the bread. And that's what you are. You've eaten of the bread of life. But not so that you could grow spiritually fat. But so that you could minister the bread of life to others. God's big picture is, well, let me read it. I'll close with Zechariah 8. Because this is the greatest, if you want to call it, evangelistic <coughs> program that the earth has not seen. I used to, I remember flying with Tony Cobb in a plane. And he was an evangelist. 
the, of the kind that we understand, like a gifted guy too. And he didn't speak Spanish. I mean, he tried, but he didn't really speak it. So the Gary Snow Spanish is, we need a taxi, so you call for a taxi over. If someone needs to come hear the gospel, you hear about Jesus over. And so I look back, and Tony is talking to this couple that only spoke Spanish. They were just right over here. And I'm watching, and I'm thinking, I can't believe this guy. And, uh, you know, I learned early that I don't necessarily have that gift. I was sitting with a girl one time who was going to teach a Bible class. And, uh, you know, I always felt deficient that way. You know, and so you get a voice, you know, that you are ashamed of the gospel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so you look for an opportunity to make yourself better. So this girl said, she's, she's a young girl, she said she's going to teach a Bible study. And I thought, ooh, that's my cue. Open door for Davy. <laughs> Evangelist to the nations. And um, I said, oh, oh, what, what are you going to teach on? She said, Peace. And it was right then that I had this influence of power and inspiration from an unseen realm. And I decided to tell her all about in detail the story of Phineas. <laughs> Putting a spear between the two people and God giving him a covenant of peace. And I looked over and the girl was sound asleep. <laughs> when the plane landed, she avoided me like the plague. I saw her in the airport, we started to cross and I was gonna say, hey, it was nice. And she went <laughs> right into the women's room before I could say another thing. So to this day, I don't know if my inspiration was from above or below. <laughs> But I looked back at Tony Cobb and a few minutes into their conversation, which I don't know how that went. They have tears coming down their cheeks and they're coming to Jesus. So. <laughs> but as appreciative as I was and in awe of someone that had the capacity to do that, gifted. And um, I mean, I think Bill's kind of an evangelist. He talks to anybody. I mean, like the girl on the plane. I don't know if she appreciated it, but. Um, she didn't get it. She didn't get it, yeah, okay. Yeah. But I'm not, even, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this. Verse 21 of Zechariah 8. And the inhabitants of the city shall go to one another saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, that's a true Jew of the heart saying, we will go with you 
For we have heard that God is with you. That's the, that's the great salvation that God wants to work in the earth. It's not telling about. It's becoming what he intended. God is with you. God is in you. And so what comes out is a better life. I'm not going to preach after hearing one of my favorite preachers. There's nothing to add to what he has to say except this. I don't know if I told you before what Eric Bell said about you. Did I? Do you remember? After the youth camp, he wrote us and he said the thing that affected him, the youth camp was so powerful, but the thing that affected him the most was everywhere he went, when he talked to you, all the supporting people everywhere, he said, I got nothing but life and positivity and the Lord. And he said, I was so impressed with every member of the body. So I want to say, you're doing this work, but we can never have enough encouragement to do more. And I just want to say, it. It was so encouraging to come home and find you all here. I remember, honestly, everywhere I was, and I said I lived in Alaska, people would say, you actually lived there all year long? Wow. And they just went on and on. But I just want to say thank you for being here, for being faithful, for being. And the one thing at Bowen's Mill that affected me was the Lord. I felt the Lord spoke to me that every single person that came through the door and this I mean every single person in here is important to him there are no echelons of greatness even though we can do that and one I know you want to speak honey um, I was overwhelmed with the way people supported when he couldn't walk. One man basically came and let him lean on him, you know, and it was just tremendous. But the one thing I wanted to say was when we were in Yugadale, John Basilica had brought his granddaughters to show off, you know, his travel and all the things that he did, and they wanted them to have the experience. And he took them fishing. The people there do not fish. Only John Basilica came and taught them that they have Pollock galore right outside there. They're right on the coast. But it's rocky and it's very dangerous. But he does it anyway. Well, we had fish every night for dinner. Pollock, fresh Pollock. And he said, I always like to get enough fish to leave here for the, for the family because they've been so gracious. And we only got enough for us talking about bread and the food. <coughs> but I found out the last day when we were traveling and Bill got his leg hurt, he, with the girls, and one of his granddaughters got the biggest fish, got 40 fish, 40 pollock to give to the family and wrote that, which was an example of the Lord multiplying that. 
But anyway, I just want to thank you because I want to say you, every single one of you, are walking in this word. And I thank you. Uh, the take home is uh, David's point. You need to be made willing and you can't be willing because you should be. That is vital and don't lose it. I, I, some of you weren't here the other day and I'll just say this in closing. Um, you were born from above to live above by an invisible God you can't see, by a spirit that is within you that you can't control. It's a dimension that uh, is unknown. And, and I did say this the other day, and, I, and please remind me of this. Are you living in that dimension? Are you thinking in that dimension? Do you get your direction from the unseen world that you're going to? Because you can't. You don't have the thoughts of God as sons of God, but you can get God's thoughts if you ask him. And really uh, talk about lameness and no bread and hunger, starvation. This, this family, and I bragged about it, We've done the natural thing. God help us to find the unseen God who wants to bring us into everything he's made. God help us to do that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, showing the way. We thank you that we're your sons. We thank you for the song you gave to our brother that we have a a contact with you and go with us today and, and Lord please give us the understanding that we need to ask you to be willing for Jesus sake Amen